Welcome everyone. I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. And we're here today for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And our guest is Dr. Timothy Jones. So yes. Dr. Jones, thanks so much for coming today. God bless you and thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yes. Well, um, I've got a few questions for okay. you, so I'll hop in. Um, my first question is, um, you were you were born and raised in Shreveport. Born and raised, right here. If I'm not mistaken, you are the 11th of 13 children I born am. to Ennis and Thelma Jones. Yes, yes. That's amazing. And since 1994, you have served as the pastor of Peaceful Rest Missionary Baptist Church. Yes. And during your tenure, your church has experienced a remarkable six-fold growth in membership. Let's start here today. Tell me a little about your church and its community development organization, its preschool, and its learning center. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, again, thank you for the privilege to to be here. Um, As you mentioned, for uh, near 29 years, I've been pastor at Peace for Us Baptist Church in Cedar Grove. And uh, if you're familiar with our city, you know of all of the challenges that our community at large has and if Shreveport has a cold and Cedar Grove has the flu um, and uh, so for, for near 30 years I've been there uh, remarkable people amazing people uh, our church was pretty much a community church when I went there in 1994 um, it's more of a cosmopolitan or, or metropolitan kind of church where people even drive East Texas, North Kettle Parish, Bossier, you know, as far as Mansfield. Um, and then, of course, we have um, a global impact. We've done uh, work, supported mission work in Ethiopia, Malawi, and uh, Ghana, um, Haiti, and Jamaica. So we have a global imprint. So uh, thanks to the generosity of the great people of the Peace for Us Missionary Baptist Church and their heart for God and His people. And tell me a little bit about your um, uh, your preschool and um, okay, yes. you have a learning center, yes, I believe. Yes, well, the learning and... center is actually, it's, it's all in one. The learning okay. center is actually a preschool. Uh, ten years ago, this year marks uh, ten years that we built uh, onto our church. We call the new addition the multipurpose center. And in the multipurpose center is a learning center or a child care center, preschool, or whatever you might want to call it. Um, amazingly enough, we are expanding the Learning Center as we speak to add an additional uh, five classrooms. So when all of that's done, we ought to be able to serve about 125 uh, students there, um, have amazing people. Uh, our children are just phenomenal and their parents are super. And we just thank God that their parents trust us uh, with our children or well, their children, but we call their children our children. Uh, one of the decisions um, in opening the Learning Center was we thought if we were able to impact lives very early, as you know, those formative years are very, very critical, uh, up to up to about age three or four, children may be learning as much, if not more, than they might learn the rest of their, their lives. So we thought we would sh- help to shape, help families to shape those formative years and that these young people would be smart, intelligent, productive members of our society, and that they would give back and be able to touch lives as we've sought to touch 
their lives. So that's the goal. In fact, um, the, our philosophy of ministry when it comes to children and youth is simply this, and, and the same is with our learning center. We want to give them the answers before life gives them the questions. And that's what I call good youth ministry. And I think that's very important. Give them the solutions before life gives them the problems. They may not even know or think, you know, we were young. We didn't know or think that we would need these kinds of things that our parents and the people in our village and the people who had a hand in rearing us and training us and teaching us. We didn't know that we would need all of these things, but somewhere in your formative years, somebody said to you, treat people the way that you want to be treated, respect everybody. And now you realize and we realize just how important those things are. So that's why uh, we do ministry the way that we do ministry in terms of children and youth. I'm going to use some quotes of yours uh, because as I prepared for today, I came across some things. Uh, So in speaking about our community, you once said the following. I think there is apathy in this town. It's across the board. I mean, socially, economically, spiritually. From your perspective, why is there so much apathy? And what do you see as some of the steps we can take to create more engagement from our people in the future. Wow, yeah, yeah. I think our community is uh, handicapped by a number of things. There is apathy. There are people who might not expect things to get any better. Um, I believe to whom much is given, much is required. So those who have resources uh, might need to be thinking about how they can invest those resources in bettering the quality of life for for everybody, uh, whatever challenges one person might have, it won't be long before those challenges are visited upon the people that we love. If I had walked into this room with um, a common cold, um, regardless of our tax brackets or our educational levels, you probably would have left here with a common cold as well. So I think we need to be thinking about just how our lives intersect and um, and how much more connected we think you know we are than we might than we might think, and um, I I think improving the quality of life for everybody is going to be important um, for the larger for the larger community because when companies start thinking about whether or not they're going to come to Shreveport. They're not going to say there are $700,000 houses down Ellaby Road. Uh, they're going to be looking collectively at our city. They're not going to be thinking about how nice some communities look. Those crime numbers, so far as Fortune 500 companies are concerned, speak to all of us. I mean, it, does, it, it may not matter that you've never robbed a bank or I've never robbed a bank, but um, there's shootings every day. And that speaks to our community as a whole. And I think uh, we have an issue in terms of inequities. They're systemic and they are long-term. Shreveport didn't get to where Shreveport is overnight. Disinvestment 50, 60, 70 years ago, um, a failing school system. Um, We brag about having six of the best schools in the entire state but we might have destroyed 60 schools to create that. 
Because if you take the best and the brightest from the entire parish and put them on six campuses, you have effectively cut the top of the bell curve of every other school in your district. So that you know that's really um, something that we're, we're we're going to have to look at. We can't keep bragging on uh, a great school over there and ten bad schools over here. So that's one of those places. And education is everything. Education is everything. Here again, back to those Fortune 500 companies that when they're thinking about where they're going to be building plants and opening offices and facilities, they're thinking about where they're, where the children of their workers are going to go to school and they look at the school system and they're like, I don't know that we really want to be in that community because while we can do much for that community, it may not be able to provide the quality of life for the people that we have working for us and the people that we want to be comfortable. So. Um, I think that's, you know, that's something that we're going to have to take a really, really serious look at. Now, I'm not a politician, but I'll say this. I don't I don't even want to come off as knowing and understanding how all of the taxes and all of that work. But I know this. If there are four taxing bodies in a community and one taxing body has one hundred fifty million dollars, in reserves and one of the taxing bodies, which let's say our school system is getting by by the skin of their teeth. Maybe we need to be shifting millages. Maybe we need to be saying, hey, listen, is it really practical? Is it really a, isn't it really a great idea for the parish commission to write the school board a check for $75 million? I mean, the money came from all of us, right? And it's to serve our community and what greater investment could we ever make than in the lives of our children that's just me thinking i know that might not ever happen you know but that's that's kind of my that's kind of my thinking yes all right i'm gonna stick with a couple of other quotes okay, from okay. you so you once said the following about our local media the media can do a better job of highlighting more of the positive coming out of Cedar Grove. Mm -hmm. I think all the media outlets can do a much better job of portraying the community in a better light or positive things that go on in the community. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, how do we get the media to focus more on telling positive stories that lift up our city and its people? You know, unfortunately, um, if it, I think their little phrase is, if it bleeds, it leads. I mean, you can have a young man grow up in poverty, get a PhD, and nobody ever hears anything about him. But if he had gotten shot on Line Avenue, then everybody would know his name before they go to bed tonight. And that's un that's unfortunate. I know sometimes the media will have this person of the week or this um, hometown highlight that's done occasionally. But if you have fed me, if you're if you're on television four times a day, half an hour each time, and let's just say we're getting let's just say in cattle in our area we're getting six hours of news, six hours. That's what three hundred sixty minutes. And we're getting 360 minutes or six hours of news daily for seven days. That's 42 hours of news, but we're getting three minutes of 
good stuff for three minutes of highlighting a wonderful person who did a really great thing, but the person who shot somebody is in the news cycle every episode, every day, every channel for several days. But if that same person, here again, had graduated from med school in May, we nobody would even know it. So I think um, I think the media ought to um, rethink its entire re, rethink its approach. I know they're driven by ratings. I know they need ratings because they can sell. And at the end of the day, it's about the it's about the bottom line. But when violence of violence against our own community is driving profit for somebody, then we're doing this whole society thing wrong. And do you think it's a? Do you think that's particular to our community? Or do you think that's happening community oh, no. to community nationwide? No, 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 no. no. We live. See, we we live in the era of the twenty-four hour news cycle, and uh, so your grandmother and my grandmother had to wait until six o'clock or ten o'clock to to get the news. Uh, we have apps on our phone. We get news in all of us. We kind of get news in in real time. So if somebody was shot at 3:02, well, we all know that at 3:04, um, and that's you know that's unfortunate, you know. And it's not just specific to us. Um, I never heard anything really wonderful, exciting about the culture of the people in Ukraine. I never heard anything about um, places we might want to visit in Ukraine. But since the bombing started, we are hearing, hearing about Ukraine almost every day, all day, every day, because there is this fixation with crime and violence and war and bloodshed. I mean, think about our own, own nation. America's been at war or had some military conflict going on probably 95 or 96 percent of the time of our entire existence you know so uh while everybody needs peace wants peace peace doesn't sell and peace isn't popular when it comes to what's shown on that tube because prior to the russian invasion we never saw a ukrainian beach we never saw any exciting things that would make us want to visit that nation, but that's that's and that's that's not unique to you're right. That's not unique to local media. It's just what we're being fed across the board, unfortunately. Kind of sticking with the media in in speaking about the media, you also talked about how the stories they tell differently impact our economic development efforts. You said, which you hinted at a little bit earlier, if I'm a prospective corporation looking to relocate, of course I'm going to check out the news outlets. But if most of what is there is all negative and few things are positive, I think that is going to hurt my perspective of a community and may impact my decision to come or not come. That was your quote. So some people say that we still have strained racial relations in this community. Do you agree with that? And do you think the state of our race relations affects our ability to recruit 
prospective corporations? Uh, yes, we have racial. We have issues with respect to race. Um, on top of the that, that's, that's probably the it from the vantage point of an African American male or a black man. That's probably most pronounced. But I think we have to address sexism. We have to address uh, classism, um, as well as a number of other social idioms that are handicapping us. Um, when you're looking for the best and the brightest, that person may not always look like you or me or that person. That person may not be male or I'll go as far as to say may not even share the same sexual orientation as as you have. I think we have to think think in terms of the value of that person. And when America has historically uh, devalued, well, that's a bad word, dehumanized because nobody's going to be able to devalue me, but dehumanize me and um, and and subjugate me to oppressive uh, things and uh, or whatever. I'll say America can no longer even afford to just be thinking black and white. Somebody put it this way. My child is not just competing with the child from Indiana. My child is competing with the child in India. And when America starts talking about putting forth her best resources, she's got to look at the totality of individuals, their values, their skill sets, and all that they bring to the table in terms of making America um, a great nation. By the way, America, you know, when you hear people say make America great again, I want to know when has America ever been great for everybody? Because there's, you know, there is somewhere in America a woman who has a master's degree and her boss has a is a male who has a high school diploma. Now, tell me where, where that makes any sense. But it's it's the nature of the beast here um, in America. So I don't know that things are going to get any, any better. I don't know that things are going to change. Quite frankly, I would hope that things would get better and that things would, would change. But here's the thing. When, when people refer to this idea in the Bible about the lion and the lamb lying down together, we're not asking anything of the lion. That lamb lying with the lion could literally be lunch. So when people invite people that they have hurt, people that they have harmed, people whose lives that they have scarred into a setting for a come by ya moment or a photo op, um, I think there's a lot that's hypocritical about that. Um, even when we start talking about meetings, this is how I determine whether or not I'm coming to a meeting, okay? I don't have any more time or energy to go into a meeting to rehash the problems or the issues. So when, when I go into a meeting, there needs to be solutions and resources on the table. Don't invite me into a meeting to say, um, 
teen pregnancy is rising in 71106. Um, I know that. I know that that's a challenge in every <laughs> uh, zip code pretty much in America. But when somebody says, here's a funding source, here are opportunities, here are resources that we might be able to reverse that plight or, or to eradicate that issue, I can sit at the table all day long. But I don't have the time and energy to go into meetings where there are no solutions and resources. My next question is a little simpler. Okay. Uh, it's simply, and you've, you've hit on some of this, but what's holding us back as a community? Our community is small because our thinking is small. Um, I don't know that we're able to see ourselves uh, um, in, a, in a global light. Um, that are... This may not have anything to do with the cost of rice in China or whatever that means, but there are towns in America. We can go an hour and a half, two hours south of us to Alexandria, but there are places in America much smaller than Shreveport that call their airports international. And we call our airport regional. Maybe if we started thinking larger, maybe if we start thinking globally, thinking more equitable, thinking more inclusive, things would be different. Um, I don't know that Shreveport is ready to have some hard conversations because I'm a proponent of, of, of reparations. Um, if there is a bank that's a multi-billion dollar operation and we know that part of becoming that multi-million dollar operation um, was exploiting people socioeconomically let's talk about how we make things good for that person um, because think about it if you are willing to finance a $75,000 car for a person why does it almost take an act of Congress to finance a $100,000 house? I mean, because they can pay for a $75,000 car in five years, but you don't trust them with $25,000 more for a $100,000 house for 30 years? We, we have to look at that and to look at how we do, do things. I mean, it, you know, this young lady can, can go and, or, or that young man can go into a bank and in 30 minutes buy a car it could take you 30 days <laughs> to get through the red tape in buying a house so we have to think about think about all of that and how we do literally how we do everything friends let me give you another example um, education as as I appreciated I mean when at the end of the day I'm not sure how far removed we are from a 1955 Mayberry leave it to beaver uh, mindset when it comes to education um, that creative child with all of the creative energies that God invests in that child is expected to sit down for seven hours it's probably not going to happen and if that child deviates from that, 
Then we have disciplinary measures in place for that child. If that child, in my thinking, needs to go outside and um, lay under a tree to read that book, at the end of the day, what we want is the book to be read. So thinking differently, I'm not sure, you know, everybody's pretty much comfortable with the, with the way they think. Everybody's comfortable with the way things are for them. I think it's, we all have to be called out of, out of some things, but, uh, and where I was going with that was this, you know, just kind of got off track for a moment. I'm a proponent of reparations. Uh, let me give you an example of what that means for me. If I hit your car, because when people start talking about racial reconciliation, that's mythological in the sense that we've never been on the same page anyway. Um, the four parents of this set of people were slave owners. The four parents of this set of people were slaves. That's our reality in America. And to come into a room and have a really wonderful dinner and say, we are working on racial reconciliations, but I walk out of that room still socio-politically disadvantaged. Have we really accomplished anything? We probably haven't. So reconciliation is actually step two in the process. Step one is repentance. Step two is reconciliation. Step three is reparations. Let me give you, let me, let me show you how that works. If I back into your car out here in the lot, step one, repentance. I need to say to you, I damaged your property. I am really sorry that I hit your car. It was not my intention to hit your car. I am taking ownership of hitting your car. Okay, that's step one, repentance. Step two, reconciliation. Stay, I am insured with state form. I am going to call my agent and report that I have created damage and harm to your life and that we have a responsibility to make you whole. That's reconciliation. Reparations, state form, cut you a check. So you can't oppress me for 400 years, invite me to lunch, shake hands. We're in the paper, we're on the news, and we have achieved reconciliation but my people are still financially, uh, politically, socially at a disadvantage due to what America has done for hundreds of years. And the sooner we recognize that, um, I think the, the better we're going, the better off we're going to be. And when people say, well, you know, we don't just need to be giving people a whole lot of money. How about opportunities? How about a great school? How about helping to make my community a great community? Okay, It's a given that some communities in Shreveport is going to have sidewalks. It might baffle the mind of somebody who moves here from Europe to realize that there are places here without sidewalks. <laughs> uh, it might overwhelm a Canadian to come to Cedar Grove and see a fence around the park or fences around our schools. Have you seen some of our schools lately? They almost look like looking like prisons. And I know we have to take some safety measures, but the quality of life for all of us is impacted by all of those things.
So that was probably more than I needed to say about that. But at any rate, I'm happy to be here. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to have you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm down to my final question okay. with you, but we can talk as long as you'd like. Okay. And it's it's just basically the opposite of what I just asked you, which is as you look around, what what gives you hope or what makes you hopeful about this community? What gives me hope is the African American church. All black people had in our darkest days was our God, each other, and a safe, sacred space for us to meet. Think about it. African Americans survived slavery without medication and therapy. We survived Jim Crow, oppression, and all of the social, economic, and political disadvantages that were visited upon us without the benefit of therapy. And now there are wealthy kids who can't get out of the first grade without medication. And that came from having our own safe, sacred space where collectively we could embrace our God In keeping with that, there are some people in this community that I think get it. I thank God for people outside of my experience as an African American who are prepared to take ownership of not just problems that others created but who can own the responsibility to make things better. And for those people who say, that was so long ago, um, or I wasn't a part of that, when you look at the aftermath and all that that has led to and created in our community and for our people, Even if you think it's not your fault, it's still your problem. Because nobody is safe in this city. And I mean nobody. Um, Let me tell you what African-American parents do. African-American parents pray probably more than they do anything else. Because we're praying when our children, particularly our boys, we're praying when they are not in our presence. Um, we even have to teach our children particularly our boys watch your surroundings be careful where you are and watch the police too I, I, I never thought that I would be in a situation where I'm praying Lord protect my child from hurt, harm, and danger, and even in some cases, those who aren't serving to protect. I was talking to a gentleman earlier today. In fact, I was talking to a pastor, not long ago, a white pastor, great white 
congregation. I'm sure his heart's good and the people in his church, perhaps their hearts are good as well. Um, but I asked him just out of curiosity, I said, have you ever had the chief of police come to your church to talk to boys about what to do when, when they're stopped by the police? Do you have a conversation with the boys in your church about the police needing to be able to see their hands at all times? Uh, he says, no, we've never had those kinds of conversations. I say, but we have those conversations in our churches. Black parents have those conversations. I remember explaining to my son who was three years old at the time, we were in a toy store and I said to him, I know you see other children that don't look like you playing with toys in the toy store, but son, we're black and daddy has to pay for the toy before you can play with it. I know you see others playing with all of these things, but daddy has to pay for it. I know you saw that kid riding a bike in the store, but daddy has to buy the bike before you can ride. And, and son, daddy has, to, has, has the anxiety of knowing that if something's broken over here, management's going to look at us first. So we have a lot of work to do. I don't know that the commitment is there as a whole. Some people, some people don't care. Some people don't know where to start. Some people just feel like I can just, you know, go down Ellaby Road or go to my, you know, go to go to Bossier or whatever. Go wherever I'm going, North Dakota, Paris, East Texas. Go to wherever I'm going, and it just not be my problem. Not just be, you know, it's just not my issue or whatever. But what gives me hope is the African American church and people who care. And I thank God even for people like you who would, who would host a forum like this to even have conversations some people would rather not have. So that's what gives me hope. Thanks, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Anything else you'd like to say today? No, I can't think of anything else. I probably said more than enough, but yeah. Thanks for being here. Man, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm so sorry it took so long for us to connect and all of that, but my schedule gets really, really crazy. I had a little emergency at the church and, it, you know, just, just a lot. So, yeah. We just appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, so, and you're from California? No, I'm from here originally. Oh, that's right. You went to California, you got a California cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> So where'd you where what where'd you grow up or where'd you go to school? Uh, I went. I grew up here. Um, I went to St. Mark, Southfield, Middle Magnet, Captain Shreve. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so you upper middle class. That sounds wealthy. Yeah, uh, my yeah. dad's a doctor. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, great. Well, well. I guess you already know that there's a that there's a there's a world beyond how you were reared and circumstances that you might not have you know had to deal with. But I, but I appreciate you having the sensitivity of having a conversation like this. We're trying. We're yeah. trying to learn, and we have a long way to go. But we're we're yeah. taking steps. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then another thing, I was in, talking to somebody earlier today. Another thing that's very important is, you know, and I appreciate the way that you've taken the time to listen today. There's this old story. Um, there's this old story, man, that we tell in the black church sometimes to where, uh, you know, they had all of these the veterinarians, dietitians, and all of these people with this big, big 
dog food company. And I mean, these people, the scientists and everybody created this dog food. They had this big marketing campaign with this dog food and all, but the dog food wasn't selling. And the janitor kept saying, hey, let me talk to y'all. I need to tell y'all what's going on. Everybody's like, wait a minute. You, you've never been to college. You, you, you know, what do you, I mean, we've got PhDs in here. We've got veterinarians. We've got people who study this. And I, he said, I can tell y'all what the problem is. So I, nobody would listen to him until one day to get, to just shut him up and to get the janitor out of the room. They said, well, what do you have to say? And the janitor said, the dogs don't like it. It doesn't matter how many PhDs are in the room. You created a, something for somebody who doesn't want it. <laughs> Doesn't see any good, any good in it. So I think people have to, people have to do a better job of um, of listening. Yeah. What time is it? About? <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank Absolutely. You.